Tell your neighbor you're looking good today. And that's no April Fools now, that's the truth. Yesterday I woke up, Saturday morning, my wife said, honey, I've got something to tell you. I said, what? She said, I'm pregnant. <laughs> April Fools. <laughs> I fibbed again. Okay, she just tell the man, I'm sorry, I'm looking for something to say, a joke to start now. I have to confess before the people. Okay. John 16 is where we're going to start. That's one of my favorite songs, I think, I've ever heard. God is a good, good father. Yes, he is. On Easter, Easter weekend, I'm going to be starting a new series. Uh, you may want to come on Saturday night on Easter. You may want to come on the first service to give a little more space. This is the most popular time that we gather. But that weekend, we're going to start a series called Core Values, the Building Blocks for a Blessed Life. And a very foundational series that Sunday, of course, we'll talk about the resurrection of Christ as the cornerstone of the building we build. But this morning, I, I want to just celebrate the goodness of God. Amen. I want to talk about, I don't want to just sing a song that gives me a feeling that God is good. I want to create an awareness in the depth of your soul why God is good. So that when I go through difficult times in life, when I find troubles, how many know bad times don't equate with bad God? Amen. How many know God is still good and whatever we go through in life, we can find a connection with a good God? Yes. John 16, Jesus embodied this. Jesus talking to his disciples said, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. Now think about this. We're foreshadowing the crucifixion. It's right around the corner. He's with these men. He's with these women, these people that have followed him for several years now. Thousands of people have ministered to Christ uh, that he's ministered to. But then Jesus said this, you're all going to leave me all alone, but I am not all alone for my Father is with me. The unseen God that I can't touch, I can't see with my eyes, but somehow I know the reality that my God is near. Yes. Now, he didn't stop there, though. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Yes. Now, how many know sometimes circumstances foster peace in my life? When times are good, I've got money, I've got health. But how many know when struggles come, when there's a, when there's a crucifixion about to come, I mean, Jesus is saying, you can still find peace. You can still find peace on your most troubled times. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, cheer up, be brave. I have overcome the world. And what I suggest to you, portrayed very clearly in these verses, is there's challenges in the world. Jesus said they're out there, but in the midst of it, you can still find and know that God is a good God. That's what I want to hope today that I can bring uh, to a greater awareness in your life. I'm going to talk about four ways that God is good, that we can experience His goodness. And here's the first one. It's from Exodus 34. God is a good, good Father because He is merciful before He's just. Can you say that with me? He's merciful before He's just. It's not an either or, but it's a both and it's a priority. Now, the picture here, Exodus 34, is a very unique picture. Only here in the Bible do we see this take place. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. That's where he got the Ten Commandments. But not only did he get God's laws, he saw God, and God told Moses who he was. 
Now, people in this world have many different views of God. And, and how many know God is not who we define Him to be. God is who He is. Yeah. And here's who the Lord described and how He described Himself. Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, what's it say? Merciful or compassionate and gracious. Now stop just a moment. Think of the ways that God could have described himself. He could have said, I am the Lord, the judge of the world. I am the Lord, the creator of the world. I am the Lord, the sustainer of the world. I send rain, the cycles of precipitation. I cause the earth to continue spinning on its axis. But he didn't say that. The first thing he said about himself, the window into understanding God, is that he's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. Now, God gets angry when people live in rebellion against him. He didn't say he doesn't get angry, but he's slow to anger. And here's this phrase, he abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. Here's what I want you to know. God said, I'm for you, period. Count on it. Take it to the bank. Just like if your kids mess up, you're going to continue to love them. You may be disappointed, but you're going to love them through it. And that's what genuine love is. It is to be faithful. And God says, I will stick with you. And this is what God is saying. He goes on to say, though, he'll keep this steadfast love for thousands. He'll forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. But then he says this phrase. He says, but God will by no means clear the guilty. He will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now that strikes at my sense of fairness. It crosses me. But let me know, if God's ideas and words cross the way I feel, I'm going to submit to God. And what God is saying in this passage is I'm merciful, but I'm also just. Sin has consequences. And let me tell you, friends, they have consequences in this life. And one day we'll stand before God on judgment day. And we should live with an awareness that one day I'm going to stand before God and I don't want to be judged for my sin. I mean, we want to hear God say, well done. So in this passage, we see both. We see God is merciful and he's just, but he's first merciful. It's very difficult to see these two concepts come together, mercy and justice. I want God to be totally merciful. It doesn't matter what I do. Oftentimes we feel in a legalistic environment that God is totally just and every sin will be punished and there is no mercy and you better straighten up because God has a flask water and he's about to squash you. But he's not either. Somehow he's both. And he sends the rain too. Let me give you the words, uh, these words. Let me define them. To be just means to be impartial and fair in giving justice to the sinner. Impartial and fair. In other words... You can't just kind of cozy up to God and get away with it like you do for your mom and dad. Come on now, or, or someone else in your life. Uh, when I was a little boy, I loved both my grandparents. They were very close to me in proximity, and I loved both of them. But Nana used to take me to the store, and every time we'd go to the store, I, I, I would ask Nana to buy me something. Come on, you've never done that, have you? And I can remember my just mother one, one day, uh, and I couldn't have been probably five, six years old, she said, now look, you buy him something every time. That child does not need any more toys or anything. You understand? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, Nana, do you understand? Oh, yeah. Well, we get in the car, and we get in this little store, and before I know it, I find this big box of, of they, were like, they were like Legos, but they were building blocks where you would build like a cabin out of stuff, Lego logs. And well, guess what I walked out of that little store with? My Lego logs, 
because Grandma, come on now, she just had such such love for me, and I could just kind of wiggle up next to her, and I could get whatever I wanted. Well, God says, I'm not like that. I'm just, and this word justice means is to give every person what they deserve. Now, this sets the background for the cross of Christ, why Jesus died on the cross, because one day we'll have to give an account. If you've ever lost your job because you've stolen something or, or you didn't show up to work on time, what you experienced was the consequences of your actions. And this is missing in modern society. We don't teach people that there's consequences for actions. But yet the Bible says there clearly are. And this is why we need mercy. Mercy, by definition, means to show compassion when justice is deserved. Remember the Bible talks about sin. The wages of sin is what? It's death. It's separation from God. It is, a, it is a consequence of sin. But the gift of God is eternal life. Uh, God, the, the definition of mercy is to forgive sin rather than punish. And the psalmist underscores this when he said, God does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. So when I say God is a good father because he is merciful before he's just, Here's what we're talking about. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul experienced this, the great apostle. Now, how many know the guy that wrote two-thirds of the Bible? I would suggest is a mentor to you and a mentor to me. When you read the epistles of the, of, of the New Testament, if you look at the man that was responsible for bringing Christianity to the non-Jewish world, most of the world, it's Paul the apostle. And you would look at this guy and you would esteem him very highly and you would think this guy must have been perfect being growing up, but he wasn't. And listen to the way he describes himself. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Now what does this mean? Paul was a dedicated Jewish person and he believed in God, but he believed Christianity needed to be eradicated from the earth. And he was one of the chief persecutors of Christians. I want to suggest to you, uh, if you have, uh, have seen someone have a love for a child, maybe I can illustrate it this way. Last night, one of our church members, Robert, was here, and he had his little three-year-old grandson. And he came in the front door, and grandpa's, you know, got the little boy on his shoulder, and the little boy's just kind of zonked out. And uh, he said, yeah, we've been swimming all day, and he's tired. Well, I want you to imagine that they're home at night, uh, their children are there, their grandchildren are gathered in, and all of a sudden, you're back in the biblical era, and they're Christians gathered in their home at night around a meal, and Saul of Tarsus, before he's Paul and converted, he comes in and he says, are you a Christian? And there's Roman soldiers backing him, and you're faced with the, with the decision, either, either stand up for Jesus or deny him, and if I deny him, it could cost me. And Saul was the kind of man that would take this child out of grandfather's arms and this little baby is crying, Poppy, 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 don't let him take me. And Roman soldiers are there. And he says, literally, deny Christ and you can have your child back or I'll take you to jail anyway just because you're a believer. Paul was the one that was there when Stephen was stoned. The picture I'm painting is a man that had done far worse than you and I have ever done with our lives, but a man who experienced the mercy of God. Sin matters, sin has consequences, but mercy is greater. Paul said, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. 
Now, I would suggest to you that each one of us here, if you're, if you're a genuine follower of Christ, you feel shame for things you did in your past life. I, I do. It, I, I, was, I, was in Christian, uh, well, I was a Christian for over 20 years before I ever confessed the sin of my late teenage years to some other Christian men because I felt so ashamed of what I'd done. All of us have that. I guarantee in the course of this weekend, there are people who have molested children, people who have raped someone, people who have stolen from their family, people who have done vile things. And we feel like we're the worst. Paul said, no, I was worse. But this happened. Look at verse 16. I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, what does that mean? It means that no matter what I've done, no matter how bad I've been, God wants to forgive me. And the definition of forgiveness in the Bible is found in the Psalms. It said God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, if, if, my, if my arms are, are, are the, a line in math class and you put an arrow on it and it goes into infinity, what God is saying, there's no limit going that away and that's where your sins are and this is where you are in an, insepar in an inseparable boundary. You are, you are beyond anything in comprehension. What God is basically saying, I've removed your sins from you. I've taken them away. And Satan tries to make you feel ashamed. Now hear me. Satan tries to make you feel guilty whenever a subject is brought up. I, I had a dear friend recently, and I heard they said, every time you talk about morality, the word adultery comes up, I drop my head because I realize I was an adulterer. Listen. Jesus wants to take the shame and guilt off of us. Don't, you don't have to live under the shame of your past. You don't have to earn God's forgiveness. It is the graciousness of our God and our Savior that washes our sins away. The Bible says though our sins are as scarlet, God makes them as white as snow. And to be justified by Christ's blood means to, to be declared righteous just as if I'd never sinned. So does sin matter? Absolutely. Will there be consequences if I live in defiance of God? Yes, there will. But God would rather show us mercy than judgment. Come on now. God would rather forgive us. God would rather give us a hope for a future because he's a good, good father. Come on, give him a big hand today. He is merciful before he is just. Matthew chapter 6. Take a peek at this one. This is something that we all think about. I guarantee you most of our waking moments in life. How am I going to take care of myself in the future? Well, he's a good father, and he makes a promise to us that he's going to be involved in taking care of us. Listen to this. Matthew 6, 25, Jesus said this. I, I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you're going to have enough food or drink or clothes to wear. Now, Jesus didn't say don't plan. He didn't say don't think about it. Jesus didn't say don't prepare for your future. He's talking about that sense of worry where we take the responsibility all on ourselves where we feel responsible for ourselves, and if I can't do it, it's not going to get done, and, and, and there's just no one here but me, and if I don't pull myself up by my own bootstraps, I'm not going to make it in life. Now listen, the Bible teaches, it advocates hard work, it advocates being responsible, it advocates doing our part, but ultimately, I cannot take care of myself. Ultimately, I cannot trust the truck that brings food to Albertsons, 
Ultimately, I've got to trust the one that causes that food to grow. Ultimately, my confidence has to be in God and not in myself. And this is another tension in Scripture. I've got my part to do. I've got to work. I've got to, you know, I've got to show up. I've got to uh, educate myself. But at the same time, there's a God in heaven that says, I'm big enough to take care of you. And listen to the picture he paints. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant. They don't harvest or store food in barns. You've never seen a bird driving a John Deere tractor. Now, you'll see one sitting on the steering wheel, but when you come up, he leaves. He doesn't want to drive that tractor. He doesn't have to. Look at these birds. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And notice what it says. Aren't you, come on, put your finger right here. Aren't you more valuable than the birds? Jesus didn't die on the cross for the birds. He died for you and he died for me. My back porch, I've got two, uh, two uh, some bird houses. And I watched this little bird build her nest. And she would go and she would gather, you know, twigs and, 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 and little sticks and leaves and those kind of things. And then she got quiet for a while. And all of a sudden, Linnell said, you need to go out there and look because there's birds in the nest. And I poked up my head up there and I saw four little mouths just kind of open up like that. I mean, it was just a marvelous thing to behold. Well, guess what? I was laying in the hammock. And, and, and I could see that house, and I could see mom or daddy bird, that they would come periodically, and they would come with a worm, or they would come with a bug, and chip, 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 and all of a sudden they give them something to eat. Well, listen, the cycles that cause that worm to be there, the rain that comes from the air, the processes in the soil, the reproduction of the worms, the worm turns into the butterfly and the legs, and all, the, all that God is responsible for. And the same God, hear me now, who causes birds to migrate, a little hummingbird that will start somewhere up north and find herself in Mexico, make her all the way back, come on now, and then end up at my mom's bird feeder in Mississippi every year. The same God that puts that internal guidance system in the hummingbird is the same God that loves you and it loves me and cares about us. And he said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Now, it doesn't mean that you may not suffer. It doesn't mean that you may not have financial problems or pressures. But they're temporary. God is the one that's caring for us. Verse 28, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothes. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers, think about the beauty of the blue bonnets or the daisies or, or, or the wildflowers, the roses that grow. God is the one doing this. And, and, and if he cares so much about them, they're going to be thrown into the fire tomorrow. That is for fuel. He will certainly care for you. It's a promise from God. It's just like John 3.16. God will certainly take care of you. It just makes you want to just kind of go, yeah, God is there. I'm going to get up and go to work. I'm going to put in the application. But after I've done all that, I'm going to say, God is there. And listen to what Jesus said. He said, why do you have so little faith? This is my part. It's to believe, to trust, to follow, to obey. Don't worry about these things. Verse 31, saying, what are we going to eat, drink, or wear? The basics of life. These things dominate the thoughts of the unbeliever. That's because that's all they have. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Last year, Rebecca had the joy of telling me she made cheerleader and then gave me an $800 bill. I hadn't planned for an 
wardrobe to jump around on Friday nights. Are you with me today? But God knows these things in advance. And God has a way of caring for his people. And because of this, verse 33, take the step of faith. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, the Bible says, and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. What does that mean? Does that mean that, 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 that I, I don't have to work? No. Work is the primary mean God cares for us. But can I tell you this, friend? If you can't work, God still has a responsibility as Father to take care of you. And even as you're working, Father is behind you. Maybe if your work is, is as a tire builder and you need your hands, you need dexterity in your hands, and, and you need to be able to have fluid motion in your arms. Well, how many know you might have moved your arms like that all of your life, but a day might come where the tendons fail you. I have a dear friend who's a surgeon. He'd been a surgeon for several decades, helped scores of people, but in the middle of a surgery, something happened to him physically and he couldn't even complete the task, and he's never been in the OR again. It's like God is the one that gave us the ability to do what we do. And even though I get up to work and go there, even though I've got the diploma on the wall, God is the one yes, is. that's behind these things. And guess what? If I can't do what I used to do, my father is still the same. He's going to care for me when I'm young. He's going to care for me when I'm old. The Bible says he's never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Now listen, this does not mean you can sit at home now, come on, and check the computer to see if God has upped your bank account. Amen. Amen now. It does not mean that you may, ha you may miss a meal sometimes or have pressure. Paul said there were many times he was hungry, but the pictures painted is it was temporary. How many know if you miss a meal, you're not going to die? How many know God uses oftentimes financial pressure to reorient our life? But the thing I want to tell you today, he's a good, good father. He knows your needs in advance. And he said, I'm going to take care of you. So if you will trust me enough to walk with me, you'll find that when you reach the end of your days, you've known that I am good because I can take good care of you. Come on, give him a good, a good hand this morning. I want to give you two more points. God is a good, good father because he gives us peace in the storms of life. Now, this is something I guarantee you, if you've kind of fallen asleep, punch your neighbor there and say, wake up now because you're going to need this one one day. In the storms of life, storms will come, but God can give us peace. Psalm 46, verse 1, it says, God is our what? Our refuge. What is a refuge? It's a, it's a hiding place. It's a cave when the storm is coming. If there's a tornado siren going off, if, you're, if you have a tornado shelter, you get in it. If you don't, you go to the bathroom or some small closet that's an enclosed area, lots of two-by-fours and two-by-sixes. You go to a safe place. Well, God says, I'm your safe place. I'm your safe place in the storms of life, and I'm your strength. See, here's what I find. I've met times in, in life, and you will too, sooner or later, you'll face your limitations. If you have strength and health, if you have money, it seems like you don't need God. But one day, you'll reach a place where you can't do it. God says, I'll be your strength. And then he says, I am an ever-present help in trouble. So now how can that be? I I've never seen God. I've never, I I'm sorry, this little thing is messing up a little bit. I've never seen God face to face. I've never touched him, but yet he's there. 
and he is as real to me as, as you are sitting here. The Bible says, because of this, we will not fear. 33 times, 33 times in the Bible, the Bible says, or God says, fear not. Fear not. And the reason, notice what he says, it's a picture of calamity. The earth gives way, mountains fall into the sea, but the Lord Almighty is what? With us. See, at the heart of this is a Christian has a personal relationship with God. We are not just believers that believe historical fact about God, but we have a personal relationship with God. He's not just the man upstairs. He's my father. I want you to hear a little testimony about this from my, my wife, Linnell, uh, about peace in the storms of life. Four years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. Served God my whole life, raised in a Christian family. My dad was a pastor, married a pastor. I've always loved God. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, I started to question God's goodness. I started to wonder, how could I have cancer? But what I knew was that I did serve a good God, and I served a faithful God, and I served a God that does heal people, and I believed in that. And so I chose to take his hand as I walked through cancer, through a mastectomy, as I walked through chemo, I lost my hair, I lost my ability to travel and do missions, which I love to do. I chose to take his hand and to trust him. I remember many a sleepless night when I would get up in the middle of the night and go into my living room and I'd just turn on my worship music and I would just cry and sit in his presence and his love would surround me. I would know that he was a good God and I would know that he was walking me through that valley of the shadow of death. And I can say to this day, we serve a good God. We serve a faithful God. He is a loving God and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. I've gone the other side of my cancer and I can help so many people now that walk through the same valley I walk through and I can say he's right there with them. Trust, he's a good, good dad. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. It's easy to say what you do if you're not in a situation. But if you get in it and walk through it, you realize the vitality of your Christian life. But did you notice she didn't say, God was good, and then I got cancer. And implication, God was bad for a while, but now I got over it, and now God's good again. She didn't say that. She said, God was good the whole way through. This is one of the most uh, troubling aspects of understanding life, the Bible, and God. Why do bad things happen to good people? Jesus told us in John 16, in me you may have peace, but in the world you'll have trouble. How, why do bad things happen to good people? If God is good, then why did grandma die? If God is good, why did I lose my job? If God is good, why did my company go bankrupt? If God is good, and you just go down the list... And this causes many people to stumble in their faith and even give up on God. But did you hear what Linnell said? She said, in the middle of the night I would wake up. This poor thing was taking pain medication and all the rigors of it. But she'd get up in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep. Probably husband was probably snoring. It was a delightful melodic snore, but, but he was probably snoring. Anyway, she got up and she said, I didn't watch all, you know, every 50 reruns of NCIS I'd recorded. She said, I woke up and I just spent time with my father. 
because my father is still good even when life is bad. See, we have this, the Bible teaches us our perspective should be globally like this. Earth is not my home. I'm a temporary alien on this earth. I'm a stranger passing through. And if you want a simple, this is very hard to understand how God can be good and bad things can happen and prayer can make a difference, but sometimes I pray and it doesn't. How do I understand all this? Here's some simple theology for you. Good God, bad devil. Good God, bad devil. You say, explain that a little bit more. In the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve, if you eat this fruit, the day you eat it, you're going to die. And bad things have been happening to the human race ever since. Cain killed Abel. As soon as they left the Garden of Eden, the next period of time, children were born, and then their kids are killing each other. God good, but devil bad. But God is first merciful before he's just. And in the middle of the storms of life, we can still find that he is good because we know him as his child, and he's a good, good father who said he'd never leave us, he'd never forsake us, but he'd always be with us even to the end of the age. I'm telling you, friends, you can know this God, and you can walk with him. You may go into the surgery suite, and you'll let go of the hand of your friend, your spouse, whoever it may be, but you can take hold of the hand of God who is a good, good father. Come on, give him another hand today. He's worthy of praise. Let me close with this last part. It's about hope. God is a good, good father because he gives us hope no matter what we face. Now, I'm going to talk about this word hope just a minute. This word hope, by definition, it's a belief that what we desire is going to happen. It's a confidence that everything will be okay because of God. Let me say it again. It is a confidence that everything will be okay because of God. Now, I want to read you an unusual passage. It's from the book of Job, Job 14. Now, when you look at the book of Job, you see an enigma. You see a man who's righteous and blameless. You see Satan having gained permission to basically cause his life to fall apart. He lost his health. He lost his kids. He lost all his business. So it's basically he's poor, broken, hurting. And now he's trying to figure this thing out. But what he doesn't know behind the scenes is the devil that was one that came to hurt him. But God was there with him through the process. But here's what he said, 14.7. He said, there is hope for a tree. Now, a tree is a metaphor for our life. If it's cut down, the hope is it's going to sprout again. And its shoots will not cease. Job was like this majestic oak tree. And this oak tree, just huge tree, it was his prosperity, it was his children, it was his power, his influence, and it was cut down to the ground, and you would think it's all over. But hope says the tree is going to grow again. It's going to grow out of the root or it's going to grow out of the acorns, but that one tree can produce a forest of oak trees. And this is where hope comes in. See, the Bible says hope doesn't uh, disappoint us. We talk about the blessed hope that we have. Uh, This is a picture of being cut down, broken, decimated by the world, but confident that God will see me to the other side. You see, life on this earth, the circumstances we go through, the loss of jobs, the waiting of things, the death, all these things, they're temporary in the grand scope of eternity, and our eyes can look a little higher beyond the circumstances. Then the scriptures say, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So hope lets me look beyond the problem 
and it lets me look and to see with confidence that God is there and God is near. Now let me explain something to you because this is a precious thing of hope. We differ from the unbeliever. We will oftentimes go through the same things the unbeliever goes through. I used to wonder why that would be. If God just took my problems away when I became a Christian, people would come to God because He, t- he, he gave them a better life, not because they love Him. And what God wants is not just a perpetual handout, but He wants a relationship with people. Let me give you a picture of how this works. The Christians have hope no matter what happens. You go to the doctor, let's say you're taking a shower, and you know, or in my case, it was probably 12, 15 years ago, my wife was rubbing my arm and she said, there's a knot there, a lump there. I said, oh boy. Come on. Still there, by the way. You hope that when you go to the doctor... He's going to say it's no big deal. Everybody does. Christian, non-Christian alike. Fortunately, in my case, when I went, he said, that's nothing. That's just, I think he called it a fatty lymphoma or something like that. But, you know, 15 years ago, it's fine. Well, Christian or non-Christian, you hope it's okay. But what if he says, I'm concerned about that. And she says, I want you to get a biopsy. And it starts amping up a little bit. But for the Christian... We hope the biopsy is going to be okay. The unbeliever hopes the biopsy is going to be clear and benign. But the Christian does something other than just go to the doctor. The Christian says, Lord, my life is hidden with God in Christ. I'm facing one of those limitations. I'm, I, 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 want to live, I want to live and see my great-grandchildren. But my life is in your hands because I believe that you have the last say. Come on now. Not just the radiologist or not just the the person who reads the examination. You have the final say. But you hope when you go in that office that the biopsy is going to be fine. But how many know if the nurse calls you the next day or two and says the doctor wants you back, that is never good news. And it is at that point, if you don't know God, all you know to do is search the internet about the disease, find the best expert that money can afford. Take Listen, you would even eat goat droppings if someone told you that they would make your problem go away. Because we want to live and not die. You hope everything's okay. You go in that surgery suite, the doctor's going to remove whatever it is, and you hope he's going to say, I got it all. And if he tells an unbeliever, I'm sorry, I could not help you, their life is shattered. They have nowhere to turn. They have nowhere to go. All they know to do is double up on the gold droppings. You understand what I'm saying? But for the Christian, now listen, I will believe with you and pray with you for a miracle up until the day you go to heaven. We don't resign ourselves to bad things happening and whatever will be, will be. Our faith is strong. We believe for miracles. But every one of us one day will go through the valley of the shadow of death. If Jesus tarries and the rapture doesn't come, every one of us are going to experience what God warned Adam and Eve about. On the day you eat this fruit, you'll die. Every one of us will go through that valley. None of us wants to experience death. But at some point in your life, you will accept the reality that your life is coming to an end. But my friend, hope will put a smile on your face. It will put a smile on your face in the midst of the tears flowing down your cheeks. I've seen it a number of times because of what Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, say it with me, yet shall he live. 
And I'm telling you, friends, our hope as a Christian will never be put out. It will never die because no matter what happens on this earth, God is still a good, Amen. good father. And he has eternity in mind for us. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? And I want you to take just a moment before you go. And I wonder if we could just have just a second to pray. Because I want to pray that what we heard today, the goodness of God, will sink down deeply into our hearts. Would you just bow your head with me just a moment? And just say, Lord, I, I want to first of all say thank you that you are a merciful God. This is forgiveness of sins. It's being saved. It's being born again. It's having a second chance in life. If you're here today and you struggle with condemnation and shame, nobody's looking around. Our eyes are closed right now. I want you to just do something symbolically. I want you to just take that sin that Satan has tormented you with and brought you shame and judgment with. I don't care what it is or how bad it's been. I want you to just kind of imagine you put it in your hands. Just give it up to God. Let God take it away from you. God has nailed it to the cross. He's a merciful God before he's a just God. He's a God that doesn't want us to live with our, our head over our shoulder at what we used to be and what we used to do. He's a God that wants us to look ahead towards him because forgiveness has power to cleanse. Lord, would you just let it sink deeply in our hearts the truth that you're going to take care of us. We're going to work. We're going to plan. We're going to hope Social Security's there. We're going to save as much as we can. But the bottom line, it's not my IRA that's going to take care of me. It's my G-O-D. You're a good, good father. And Lord, I want to tell you today, I, I, I don't want to go through any storms of life. I want my life just to continue to prosper and be blessed and be happy and healthy and strong and whole and prospering and everything. But, but Lord, if I go through that storm, like Jesus even indicated, I want your peace. I want to know not just about you. I want to know you. As I watch my wife, helpless, get up at 3 or 4 in the morning and couldn't go back to sleep. But I'd hear her singing and worshiping. And I knew that God was still good. And the storms were Lord, I pray that you would help us not only see the value of hope, but always exercise it and always have it, knowing that no expert has the final say. No report from the radiologist, no decline from the banker, no repo letter, none of that's the final word. God is the final word. And the one who conquered death lives in slip your hands to heaven a moment. You're a good father. Let this define my understanding of you. A good, good father. I live in a bad world, but good God, bad devil, God is good. Welcome today, Holy Spirit. Welcome. We're going to close with that one last song, and I'm going to make opportunity, if you'd like some last prayer before we go, Maybe something in this message, maybe it kind of brought something up in your life. Maybe the, the Holy Spirit, you may be just kind of feeling like, I need somebody to pray for me. Because what the preacher said, all he did was read the Bible, but living it out is pretty hard. Maybe you're in a space of life like my wife was. It may not be cancer, but how many know jobs, issues, families, marriages, the list is long. 
How many know we still need the goodness of God? We'll pray for you about anything. But the most important thing we'd like to pray with you about today is your own personal relationship with God. See, I was raised in church. I'm glad I was raised in church, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church doesn't give you a relationship with God. It can teach you about God, but until you ask for His forgiveness and surrender your life to Him, that's when the adoption happens. And how many know when God adopts you as His son or His daughter, that's when relationship begins. And maybe that's what you need today. You need a real relationship with a real God. And if that's you, I'm going to encourage you, as we begin to play, just slip out of your chair and come meet someone at the cross. We don't want anything from you. We're not asking you to join the church. We simply want to pray with you as you make a commitment to Christ that will cause everything about life to change because he's a good, good father. They're going to begin to play. Our prayer team is coming to the front now. And I'm going to encourage you, if you need prayer, just slip out of your chair. Most importantly, if you need to make a step for God, here's what you're feeling. Something is pulling you away and something is pulling you to that cross. That's the Holy Spirit wanting to give you a fresh start in life. You come and give God a chance. Let us pray for you. I love you very much. Because you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. Now I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Hey, our prayer team's going to remain around front and will pray with you about anything this morning. We're going to continue to worship through this song one more time. And one of the pastors is going to remain around front. If you're wanting to volunteer and help for Easter, they'd love to talk to you. But otherwise, God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week.